Welcome to the Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about the Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Amen. 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 Church, you may grab your seats, grab your Bibles. We're going to be in Psalm 139 this morning. Oh, it's good to gather. I don't know, maybe you're like me this morning, mind racing about various things, and when that happens, my thoughts get all jumbled, and then my words don't come out right. Have you ever had that happen? Well, that's me this morning, so that'll be fun. This will be exciting what happens this morning, right? Not a great thing when your words don't come out right, and, but God's gracious. We're going to really kick off in Psalm 139, but we're going to be bouncing all over the place. And so if you're not a note taker, maybe today you start. So we're going to go over some, uh, a lot of ground this morning. It could be at times like drinking from a fire hydrant. So I'm just going to warn you up front. It's going to be a lot. Not typically we don't do things this way, but it's going to be a lot this morning. It's going to be a lot of Bible. And quite frankly, I hope that's what you want. More Bible, less Josh. Right? That's going to be best for everybody in the room. Just saying. If you're taking notes, you can title this sermon Purpose. Purpose. And so if you're tracking, we're starting this, this new series, this month of January, called New View, because we're so focused on making a new you, right, that we do all these things, we eat better, we exercise more, we do all these things, which are good things, but the best thing is really comes from a different place, and it starts with a new view. And so we've talked, week one was power. We have this power by the Spirit that God's given us in Christ Jesus, and then through power we have a privilege to pray, was last week, right? The connection we have and that we enjoy with God through prayer. And today we're talking about purpose. Purpose. So through prayer and God's power, we have a purpose that God's given. So let me ask you this. What is your purpose? Isn't that the question? What is the purpose of life? Oh man, I'm glad you're here this morning because we have the answer. It's going to be amazing. What is the purpose of life? The main takeaway I want us to see this morning that you were created on purpose for a purpose. And we're going to really dive into this a lot more next week too. But you were created on purpose for a purpose. Psalm 139 verse 13 tells us this. For it was you, talking to God, it was you who created my inward parts, knit me together in my mother's womb. Created on purpose. And this is important because many people either don't know this or believe lies about themselves, you were created on purpose. And just get heavy just for a second, because this can be heavy. You may have had a surprise pregnancy. You may have been a surprised pregnancy. But God wasn't surprised. There are no accidents to God. You were created on purpose. For a purpose. And so we're going to look at two things just as we go through this time together. One, we're going to look at generally across the landscape of Scripture, how God has designed people on purpose for a purpose, just generally speaking, all of us. And then two, we're going to start thinking about how God's designed you on purpose for a purpose. And so we're going to be asking a lot of questions, be thinking through some things, and start leaning into what maybe God is showing you 
and how God's designed you on purpose for a purpose. And so generally speaking, the first thing, point, reason, purpose God's created you is for His glory. Psalm 139, 13, we saw verse 14 says, I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. So number one, we're created for God's glory. Isaiah 43, verse 7 says, Everyone who bears my name is created for my glory. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, that's a lot of stuff. Whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. So is God getting glory through your activity? I just think through your daily grind of life. The workplace, family, school, recreation, hobbies. Is God getting the glory for your activity? Because it says, whatever you do, in everything, give God glory. And to give God glory means to honor and worship Him. So if point one, your purpose is to give God glory, one B would be you're created for the purpose of worshiping Him. Isaiah 43, 21 says, The people I formed for myself will declare my praise. Worship is expressing worth. It's rooted in worship, expressing worth worth. So let me ask you this, who or what in your life is getting the expression of worth the most? The focus of your expression of worth. Anything outside of God, the Bible calls idolatry. And it's, if we're honest, our, it can shift back and forth for who we're devoted to and what that looks like, right? But ultimately, our desire and drive and our focus the life of worship that we're looking at this year, out of Romans 12.1, is to be aimed at God. God-focused. So I wanted to look at a couple things worship-wise, because I think worship can be relegated to just one area of what we do. But worship is a lot of things. Worship is praying. Do you realize that? That's a form of worship. I mean, we spent 44 minutes last week talking about that, so hopefully you realize worship is praying. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 17 says, and 18, Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. If you read that, rejoice always is praying. Give thanks in everything is praying. Pray constantly is praying. You can talk in church, it's okay. Praying. Psalm 151 and 2 says, Hallelujah, praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty expanse. Praise Him for His powerful acts. Praise Him for His abundant greatness. This is praying to God, communicating with God, talking to God, expressing to God. It's praying. It's an act of worship. Worship is also music, which I think is really where we go. When I hear the word worship, usually we think music, which is good. It's not the only aspect of what worship is. Again, Psalm 150, verse 3 through 6 says, Praise Him with the blast of the ram's horn. Praise Him with the harp and lyre. Praise Him with the tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and flute. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Praise Him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that breathes praise the Lord. So let me pause here and says, just ask a question. Who's breathing this morning? Anybody? You know what that means? 
You were designed with a purpose to praise God. Also what this means is that you don't have to bring your own tambourine, okay? I know it says tambourine. Leave my home. Okay, we got a band. If you want to join the band, praise God. We'll welcome to have you. But we have worship through music. Who are my uh, gifted singers? Raise your hand if you're gifted at singing. Stop. You guys are so humble. Come on. Who can sing? Jenny, write them down. Write the names down. Who can't sing at all? The not-so-muchers. Yeah, that's me too. Not by example, that's me. Psalm 98 gives qualifications for your singing styles. Verse 4, let the whole earth shout to the Lord. I don't know about you, but my singing words sounds more like shouting, if I'm honest. Shout for joy and sing. Sing to the Lord with lyre and with the lyre and melody of songs, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's sword. Shout triumphantly in the presence of the Lord our King. Many of you sound like a choir of angels singing. It's beautiful. Others sound like a choir of angels falling. Maybe not so beautiful. But we sing, not because of how great we are, but of how great God is. And so we sing. But worship is also, so it's praying, it's music, it's also reading, hearing, obeying God's word, the Bible. That's worship. God speaks to Joshua when Joshua was getting ready to take over leading after Moses died. And he says this to Joshua. He says, this book of instruction, also known as my word, must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully observe, it means obey, everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. And you see this refrain all throughout Scripture is meditate on God's word, know God's word, hide God's word in your heart. Reading, meditating, noting God's word is a form of worship. In Nehemiah 8, Jerusalem was destroyed. People were dispersed in exile. And by Nehemiah's leadership, the walls are restored. People are brought back. And Ezra stands up as people gather. And he breaks out the book of the law. Just easy reading, right? Anyone have Bible reading plans? They started as a New Year's resolution. You bunch of heathens, really? Nobody here? What is going on in this place? We're going to talk about this again. Remedial training. No, I'm just kidding. But usually we get broke down in the first five books of the Bible, and we start over next. I'll do it next year, right? Get bogged down in Leviticus. Here they broke out and read it for hours. They gathered the people, men, women, all who can understand, gathered as Ezra just read. But then as he read it, it says he interpreted and translated so that he understand. And as he read and they understood and translating God's word, it said the people... Raise their hands. You can raise your hands in the gathering of worship. They said, Amen. It's biblical. You can shout, Amen. And they knelt down with their face to the ground and worshiped out of response of God's word and who he is. So, God's word, we worship through it. In Acts 2, we see the church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What did the apostles teach? God's word, not health, wealth, and prosperity. God's word, the truth. So we see God's worship is through music, prayer, God, the word, through communion, remembering what Jesus did. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, and the church did it, and they continue to do it because 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six 26 says, for often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, and so he hasn't come again. Jesus said, do it, and so we do it. We do it every week. Communion. Worship is through baptism. Is a form of expression of worship, of obedience to Christ. 
It's rooted in the Great Commission command, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them mean being baptized and baptizing. We worship through giving generously, financially specific, in various ways like we talk about a lot around here. But 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says God loves a cheerful giver. Talking about specifically financial giving and contribution. So we give out of an act of worship. And when we look at all these things, we can tie worship into this Sunday morning package. But worship is a lifestyle. And this is our theme again for 2023 is Romans 12.1. Out of view of mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Worship is Monday through Sunday. We are worshiping as we're going. This 12-1 life of worship that we're called to have. So we start looking for the purposes we're created at. Point number one, we only got 10 more points to go. Point number one, you're created for God's glory. Point number two, you're created for relationship with God. That's what we see back in the Genesis accounts, that man and woman were walking with the Lord, having that relationship with God until they rebelled against him. They disobeyed. It's called sin. And we see that sin separates us from God. It damages the relationship that we were created to have. The purpose that we exist is to worship and have a relationship with God. Isaiah 59, 2 says, Your iniquities are separating you from God, and your sins have hidden His face from you. And I think we have to clarify what sin is sometimes, because I think we live in a culture that so puffs us up a lot in certain ways. Like, you are good. Right? You have good motives. We assess our motives, not necessarily the things that we do sometimes. So we intend well, and so that means we do well. But if we really dig in the heart of things, we can see, biblically speaking, maybe we're not as good as maybe we think we are. I mean, you all some good folks, for sure. But have you ever hated someone? Have you ever been angry with someone? Just drive down Broad Street at 4 p.m. Jesus says that's murdering. Have you ever lusted after someone? You all know I did many years in the fire service and military, and the frame, refrain was always, you can look, but don't touch. Jesus calls that adultery. Lust. Have you ever checked the box that you've read the terms and conditions of a document without actually reading the terms and conditions of the document? So what I think we're saying is that we're a group of murderous, adulterous liars. Welcome to the way, church. Our connect card is to the QR. We're here to encourage, to equip. But I think we need to see our condition. Before we see what we just sung about, song number one, how amazing God's grace is, giving us something we don't deserve, his unfailing love for us. Even though we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 6 says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 clarifies that you're saved. That means God's wrath is on you because of your sinfulness and rebellious, but you don't have to stay there. He did something so you don't have to bear the weight of sin you're saved by God's grace, meaning he gives you something you don't deserve through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is God's gift. Not from works so that no one can boast. Because the Bible says that you cannot do anything to remove your own sin, to clean yourself enough, to earn forgiveness. God did it through Jesus. That paying the price for our sin, that he died and then rose again. Lived the life we couldn't live to die the death that we deserve so that everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. 
And that life starts at the moment of your faith and lasts forever. This is the purpose that God's created you for, for His glory and for relationship with Him. But then there's verse 10 on Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, which goes into our third purpose. We're created to serve. Verse 10 says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So we're not saved. We can't earn a right relationship with God, His love. By good works, He loves us because of who He is. But then we're saved to good works, to serve out of heart of worship. As we see in the Bible, God did not design us to live for the sake of ourselves, but to live for the sake of serving one another. And this is the life of worship that we're getting at, of an element of we're worshiping through everything we do. We talked about this morning in our serve team that does all this stuff. All this stuff just doesn't magically appear. We have a group of folks that are just faithfully dedicated to come every Sunday morning and say afterwards that do all this. Why do we do it? Ultimately, it's for God's glory, but we serve one another well through coffee. Christians drink coffee. This is what we do. If you don't, let's talk afterwards. It's not too late for you. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But when we see, generally speaking, we see that we were created for a purpose of glorifying God, for a relationship with Him, and to serve. Now, I want to start thinking a little bit. We're going to start getting a little bit more weeds on thinking specifically how God has designed you for a purpose. Purposely for a purpose. And so, again, my years in the military... I appreciate a good acronym. Man, we live by acronyms, right? So I appreciate a good acronym. We started using this last year, DESIGN, D-I-S-I-G-N, DESIGN. And so each letter stands for something, how God's designed you with a purpose, purposefully. So let's just go through this together. And this is where I want us to start thinking through. I'm just asking the Holy Spirit to do this in your life, to start revealing things, some truth about you, and how wonderfully Remarkably, he's made you. And so D, desires. Desires. You have God-given desires. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Order matters. We want our heart's desires, and maybe we'll consider the Lord later. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. So let me ask you this. If you can do anything in the world for the Lord, what would it be? And money wasn't an object. Just think through that. If you could do anything for the Lord in all the world, what would that be? What desire has God stirred in you? God gives us passions to accomplish his purposes. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. So a couple of questions as we dig into your desires. What would your friends or families or spouse say that you're passionate about or that you're interested in? And again, if you could do anything in the world for the Lord, what would it be? Start digging into the desires maybe that God's stirring within you. So desires, E, experiences. Experiences. 
And what I want us to see is that God uses our experiences to mold us and to shape us. So think through how has your experiences influenced you? I know we have a range of experiences. How about experiences of pain? We've all experienced pain at some level. Romans 8.28 says, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. We say a lot around here, but there's not a moment wasted in God's sovereignty. So no matter what you are going through or going into, it's not lost on God. He's still working through the mess. So experience the pain. How about hurt? God will never waste a hurt. 2 Corinthians 1 Verse 3 and 4 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves received from God. This is what this means. Who best when you're dealing with an issue than someone who's been through the issue? Like, think through this. If I've dealt with alcoholism, no one knows my struggle more than someone who's conquered alcoholism. Drug abuse, someone who's conquered drug abuse. Pornography, someone who's been on their side, conquered pornography. Cancer, someone who's been through, by God's grace, on their side of cancer. Because they receive God's mercy and now can comfort those with the same comfort and mercy they were given by Christ Jesus. God will not waste a hurt. So when you're going through it, endure knowing that God is still working good, even though you may not understand it and definitely doesn't feel like it. But how about experiences not of pain, but of gain? I think Joseph is a great example of experiences of pain, but God turned it into gain for his glory and for people's good. In Genesis, we see the account of Joseph being betrayed by people, namely his family. Anybody been betrayed by family? Don't raise your hand if they're sitting next to you. Right? Been betrayed by family. Joseph was betrayed by people, thrown into a pit, eventually was enslaved at Potiphar's house, then went arrested, went to prison, ultimately, by God's sovereignty, making the way to a palace with power. Went through a whole bunch of garbage, but God didn't waste it. And at that point, when he had the power over the land and had really given direction for the nation to store up food because a famine was coming, he revealed himself to his brothers, and his bro- the brothers were scared now because they knew this guy that we tried to kill was now had power and authority to do some damage to us. But in Genesis 5.20, this is what Joseph said to his brothers. He said, you planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. So God doesn't waste the hurt, but God also provides and gives gain and blessing. So what is he doing in all that, all those experiences, to shape and mold and form us? How about experiences in the Spirit, that moment when God wrecked your life by his amazing love? I think we forget God's grace sometimes. 
Let that mold and shape us. I love the account of Acts 9 and Saul, the persecutor of the church, was going to Damascus to persecute, to arrest believers. And on the way, it said a light shone down from heaven. Saul dropped to his knees and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He asked, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. And from that point, Saul was forever changed. He went from being the persecutor, killer of the church to the greatest evangelist the world's ever known. Changed his name from Saul to Paul. Meaning, whatever you've been through, your past doesn't define you. God is doing a work. And by His power and His grace, He will renew you and not waste the damage in life that you regret having, but make a new you through Christ Jesus and has a purpose and a plan that far surpasses anything that you could ever ask for or imagine. God's grace is God's gift. He's using your story for His glory. But also, Holy Spirit generously gives gifts for God's glory and for the other's good. What leads us to S, spiritual gifts. So just to be clear, spiritual gift is a special ability from the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. Verse 11 says, Distributing to each person as he wills. So meaning that each Christian, you have a spiritual gift, and it's meant to be used and developed. I go back to, we bought... My kids are in racing, BMX bike racing. And so last year we bought one of our kids a race bike. And so we bought him this race bike that this bike was designed for racing so that he can use it to race. I think it's explained in the gift itself, right? So when he uses the gift that we give him because we sacrifice so he can have this, we have joy, one, because he's my son, and two, because he's using the gift that we sacrifice so for him to enjoy, he actually uses it. So it pleases us as parents. What wouldn't please us if it sat in the garage all the time collecting dust? That would not be pleasing. 1 Corinthians 4.10 tells us, For just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the very grace of God. We have a giftedness to use. Now, ultimately, we use it to glorify God. The spiritual gifts we have are to be used, but they also have purpose is to show us what we're to do. I'm going to read two lists off to you. It gives us a thinking, maybe how God has gifted you if you don't know. If you're maybe just unsure a little bit, let these two lists from the Bible start helping you clarify maybe what God's doing in your life that you're even unaware of. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 8 through 10 says this. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. Another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by one Spirit. To another, performing of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, different kind of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. And if tongues makes you uncomfortable, read 1 Corinthians 14, verse 28 for clarification. Romans 12 gives another kind of listing, verse 8 through 
6 through 8 says, according to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching and teaching, if exhorting in exhortation, if giving with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness. See, as you start hearing these gifts, start thinking through, God, how have you gifted me? And if you're still kind of unsure and wrestling, I don't really see it. I don't really know. This is one of the beauties of our class Connecting Point. Because in our Connecting Point class on February 5th, we're going to dive into this a little more, help you to discern and discover maybe how God's gifted you. So you have spiritual gifts, eyes, individual style. Individual style. So by raise of hands, who are my introverts? See how hard it was to raise your hand? You're like, your spouse is introverts, right? Extroverts? Yeah, way up high. It's so funny watching. Yeah, that's me. I bet you are. How about married? Who, who's an extrovert that married an introvert? Yeah, me too. Isn't that how God does things? Isn't that funny? How about organized? Anybody organized? Structured? Anybody not so much? Yeah. Again, married, organized, and not so much usually comes together. Understanding personality or individual style how God created you can be important to seeing how the purpose that he created you for. Individual saw that we have is God-given. Again, going back to Psalm 139, verse 13, you were cre- he created, formed, knit you together purposely. So let me ask you this, a couple of questions. Just, again, you're, you're digging into trying to figure out how's God wired me and how God can use that for a purpose that he's calling us to. So think about how are you energized? Are you task Oriented or people-oriented? Task-oriented means really organized by accomplishing tasks. I would say I fall into that camp. I'm very checklist-driven. I feel a sense of accomplishment if I have a checklist. People-oriented, you have value energized by dealing with people, right? So introverts, maybe not so much. But both task oriented, people-oriented, value relationships that is different in how they approach it. In the same way, how are you organized? Are you unstructured or structured? Again, thinking through how God's wired you for the sake of serving, structured or unstructured? Unstructured individuals usually like a variety of things, a little more flexibility on how we do things, how you accomplish the task. Structured, a little more planned, detail-oriented, orderly. Again, I'd fall into that camp. I like a plan. But again, both unstructured and structured individuals value organization. It's different how to accomplish it. So what's your individual style? How has God wired you for the sake of his glory? Structured, unstructured, introvert, extrovert, energized. How has God wired you? And how can God use that for the purposes he created you to live out? Brings us to G, growth phase growth phase. And your growth phase is where you are on your spiritual maturity journey. 2 Peter 3.18 tells us, but grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me ask you this. Are you growing in your spiritual maturity? Just think through that. Are you growing? And as I pry a little bit, how would you describe your life of being discipled since coming to faith? 
Think through that. Also, how would you describe your intentionality of discipling others since coming to faith? That's part of your growth by God's design, being discipled and discipling. I was talking to what I would determine, describe as a senior saint last year. This lady was following Jesus, I can't remember what she said, 40, 50 years. Praise God. There was a point in why she's telling me that, which doesn't matter. So I asked her, man, it's amazing. Praise God. So how many dis- disciples have you made in those 40 or 50 years? How many people have you discipled in that time frame? Didn't have an answer. And praise God for your faithful journey, but what are we doing with our relationship with the Lord? How are we growing? And part of that growth journey is discipling and being discipled. I believe, biblically speaking, we're supposed to be in this this sphere of continual discipleship and discipling. Talked to a young man several years ago who was explaining to me how all these different Bible studies he was going through throughout the week. I'm like, man, that's awesome. You must be gaining all kinds of information. Let me ask you this. Who are you discipling? This is a young 20-something. He goes, oh, I can't disciple anybody. That's a lie from the devil. The devil pries on our insecurities. You'll never know enough if you go that route to actually disciple someone. That's not biblical. If you know Jesus, you know enough. So who are we discipling and being discipled by? That's part of our growth phase. And finally, natural abilities in. Natural abilities. Think about this. What is something you're naturally good at? 1 Corinthians 12, 4, and 6 says this. Now, there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. There are different activities, but the same God who works all of them in each person. So what is something you're naturally just good at? There's a few myths that I want to just touch on real quick. Myth number one, people are not born with natural abilities. All skills must be learned by experience. It's just not true. You have things that you're naturally wired, gifted, geared towards being good at. Another myth is you have certain natural abilities that you'll be very aware of. I found that can be completely not true. It's actually opposite. I think we're most often not aware of natural abilities or giftings that we have. Which is the beauty about God's called us to be part of a community because as you see a gifting or natural ability in someone else, speak to that. Like I've learned so much from other people speaking into my life things that they've seen that I had no idea was even there. That's part of our, my journey, our journey of becoming into ministry. Because we have some pastors that spoke into something that they saw that I was even unaware of, that God was doing in our life. Another myth is Skills that I use at work are only usable in that environment. I couldn't use them to serve in ministry, and that couldn't be further from the truth. See, we compartmentalize our life. We have our work life and our church life and our family life, and that's not by God's design. All those things are designed to mesh. Life of worship. And so God's wired you, gifted you, designed you, natural abilities you've had. May, man, may, may be awesome in the workplace, but how might God use that in your life of ministry also? And that could be in your workplace So what is something you're naturally good at? And I say good at, it could be just something naturally you have in you. I think about one of my kids that just has a natural awareness of people. 
and his sensitivity to needs. Always had this kind of tender heart. And so as we go to places, has a natural drift towards seeing and meeting needs of people, strangers. So I'm thinking, how might God use that one day in his life for his glory and for the good of those around him? I didn't teach that because I have other kids who are not that way at all. And you all know we got a lot of kids. I don't know how you have seven kids and seven opposites. You figure that out. But they have natural abilities that God's wired them to have. So how might God use your natural abilities for God's glory and for the good of those around you? Your desires, your experiences, your spiritual gifts, individual styles, your growth and your natural abilities, all of God has created you, formed you, knit you together, and gifted you for his glory and to know him, be known by him for the good of others. How has God wired you, designed you? goes back to you were created on purpose, Find rest and comfort, and God created you on purpose and for a purpose, ultimately to know him and to be known by him. So we can get stuck in all these things of doing for God. That's what we spent just 30 minutes doing. Do all these things, right? But you have to go back to why. It goes back to the relationship that we enjoy with God the Father. I was reminded of Psalm 143 this morning. It says, let me experience your faithful love in the morning, for I trust in you. Reveal to me the way I should go, because I appeal to you. I wonder, are you resting in God's faithful, unfailing love this morning? Because all of this is nonsense unless you know the one true God. None of this will make sense unless you're resting in the love that he's poured out. I'm wondering if you've received it. Or if you've forgotten it. Jesus says in John 17, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the one and only true God, and the one you sent, Jesus Christ. In John 3, 16, Jesus says, For God so loved the world in this way. That's you. That's me. For God so loved us in this way that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. He's created you to know him and to be known by him. We love him because he first loved us. And Romans 5 says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us because of his great love for us, proving his love for us. And so I wonder if you've forgotten the love that he has for you, or have you never experienced it in the first place? Because again, all this we talked about doing doesn't make sense unless you first start with knowing and being known, resting in him. And I'm not talking about head knowledge. There's a lot of people that don't know God personally that can quote a lot of scripture, know a lot of facts. It has to translate from the head to the heart, transfer in that way, to know him. And I'm wondering, do you know him and if not what's stopping you that's really to wrestle what we have to wrestle with there is a God who desperately loves you who created you purposely wondrously remarkably made specifically who you are for the purpose to know him that comes with trusting in him to see that we have sinned we have fallen way short by God, God's grace Jesus, living life that we couldn't live, perfection. Died in our place. 
taking our sin on his shoulders, bearing the wrath of God so we didn't have to, and supplied by faith. If you believe that he did that, somehow, some way, your blood on the cross counted for me, you will be saved. You will have eternal life. You can now turn to God the Father as Daddy, Abba Father, and cry out to him. He knows you, and you're known by him, and he starts renewing you and changing you from the inside out. But you are known as a child of the one true God, and the determination is, who do you say Jesus is? Is he Lord and master of your life? Or do you still think he's a fool and a liar? That's your two, op- two options. Jesus loved us and gave himself for us so that we can live with him and start living out the purpose that we were created to have. So this is what we're going to do. We do this every Sunday. I'm going to invite the band back up and we're going to sing another worship song. But as we sing... I'm going to encourage you to respond. I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life right now, but I know He's speaking. So what is God calling you to do right now? Maybe for the first time you've seen that there is God who loves you and has given everything for you to know Him and to be known by Him. Maybe right now your response is, God, I see that I'm a sinned. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I see your goodness and your love and your grace, and you've called me to yourself, and right now I'm turning to you by faith. I don't know how I don't have all the answers, but I know you. I'm asking you to respond by faith. Say, Jesus, I trust in you for forgiveness. For anyone who confesses their sin will be forgiven and cleansed. May God's shown you something about yourself, an area of life that you've strayed. Maybe there's an area of life that you haven't lived purposely. Maybe there's some gift that he's given you that you're not using. I don't know what God's doing, but I know he's doing something. I know we're called to respond. And so I'm going to pray for us, and then our band's going to sing. And So maybe your response is standing and singing praises because we were created to do that. Maybe it's praying just by yourself or with someone around you. We'll have a prayer team over here. We'd love to pray with you, pray for you, answer any questions about what God's doing, next steps. But respond. Respond to what God's doing in this place, at this moment, right now. Let me pray for us. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for bringing us here this morning. We thank you for the reminder that you have created us on purpose, for a purpose, exactly how we are, remarkably, wondrously, beautifully made. Father, we thank you for who you are. Help us just to rest in your goodness, in your grace, and your amazing love. Lord, I pray you continue just to transform us in you through the relationship that we have with you, Father. Help us to remember the goodness of your grace in Christ Jesus, your amazing love that you gave yourself for us so that we can live with you forever. Lord, build our faith, restore our faith, refresh our spirits, give us strength. For those who have come down in here this morning just battled by everything that's going on in life, just beat down, crushed, I pray you give them comfort and encouragement. Pray for the the weary, the stress, I pray you bring strength and endurance. Pray for the hurting, that you bring healing. Lord, you do that. 
So right now, I just pray you just do an amazing work in each of our lives. In this place, at this moment, help us feel your presence tangibly. Your spirit, refresh us, Father. Lead us to respond. Help us to hear what you're telling us and showing us this morning. Help us to see you more clearly. Father, we thank you, and we thank you for Jesus. And we pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Way Church Podcast. If you would like prayer or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.